right, good morning. This morning we will continue with our uh, foundation series. This is a series on topics we feel that all churchgoers, all Christians, all followers of Jesus should know, not only know about these foundational topics, but be able to share with others about what they are. We draw on these foundational topics from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. I think I have it up there. Um, I, I, share, I share on this a couple weeks ago, but I'll read it again just to uh, help us to be reminded. that Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So we, together as a church, we want to be a mature church. I know we are just celebrating our first birthday next week, but we want to be a church that is constantly growing, maturing, and in order to do that, we need to be able to move beyond the elementary teachings. And in order to move beyond the elementary teachings, we need to know what they are. So as per Hebrews um, 6 verse 1, and in order to be able to grow and mature in the whole measure of fullness of, of Christ, all of us, not just a few, not just, you know, quote unquote, the leaders, all of us should know these elementary teachings, which I will refer to them as foundational topics. And I think on the next slide, there's a list of other things that it's, it's, it's something that we all should know and be aware of so then we can mature and grow in the fullness of Christ and be able to exercise and, and do the gifting and the things that, that has been given to us. We started two weeks ago with salvation and last week Vanessa preached on the topic of the church, which was excellent by the way. If you were not here during those last two weeks, I encourage you to listen to uh, the recorded sermon on our website. And, and, and typically, I don't really recommend for people to listen to what I say, but I just feel these t foundational topics are really good for all of us to know, all of us to know, not only know what they are, but also know in depth of, of what they are, because in order for us to be followers of Jesus and be obedient to the things that he has, that means disciple other people. And in order to disciple others, we need to be able to talk about the elementary uh, elements, topics of what is a follower of Jesus, and what what does a church comprise of? So, January, so today we're going to talk about the topic of baptism, which includes both water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. Where anytime the the term baptism of the Holy Spirit comes up, it's always like woohoo! There's there's a lot of lot of things out there. Uh, some are very extreme uh, on both sides, but. What we want to do is we want to dig into scriptures and see what does the Bible have to say instead of talking about based just on our own experience or what people have told us. We want to look in the scriptures and dig, dig deep and, and see what does God has to say about baptism. Generally speaking, when we talk about baptism, I, I, I feel that most people, both within and outside the church, would typically refer to that as either infant bat baptism or just water baptism. However, like I said, it's two things. Water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's definitely no infant baptism, and I will touch more on the topic of infant baptism in a few minutes. Firstly, baptism. What is it? What is baptism? So the Greek word for baptism is from baptismal, which means to be immersed, 
submerge, plunge, dipped, buried, or cleansed by submerging, or to be overwhelmed. That's what it means to be baptized. Baptism. That's what the term means. So let's let's talk about water baptism first. We see, I think this is easier to talk about because we see many examples within scriptures, especially in the book of Acts. You know, John the Baptist was baptizing people, and he baptized Jesus. Uh, Paul got baptized as soon as uh, he got the revelation of Jesus, uh, who Jesus is, on the road to Damascus. Uh, an example that I can think of is the household of Ananias. As soon as they got saved, they got baptized. So that's. The, those baptisms happened right after they repented and accepted Jesus. Baptism, water baptism, is a public confession of an inward or a personal commitment. It is an outward or a visible symbol of an, something that is unseen because it's a rebirth that is within us. So water baptism is a public, visible symbol for everyone else to see. It's... It, um, Generally, it graphically depicts what has happened to a person when a person has become a Christian, right? As they go down under the water, it depicts Christ's death and their own death to self. And as they come up, as they go down under the water completely, not just a little sprinkle, not just a little sprinkling. Uh, as in the infant baptism, I think there's a little sprinkle of water, holy water, whatever that is. Uh, so anyway, as they completely go under the water and come back up, so when they come back up, it depicts Christ's resurrection and their own, our own, rising to a new life. And, and we, we see this, and Paul wrote in depth about this in Romans chapter 6, about death to sin and a life in Christ. So it's, it's also, water baptism is also an act of obedience to Jesus. Not only does he command it, put a great commission, right? He said, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it is something that Jesus commands for us to do as his followers to baptize other people, but it is also uh, to follow his example as Jesus himself was baptized, even though he didn't need to repent. He did that as an example for his followers to come. And as we know throughout the life of Jesus, he did pretty much everything that anyone ever would have gone through. Whether he got to get betrayal, he was betrayed. Whether he was going hungry, he was hungry. Whether he was praying for someone, raising up the dead, whatever. You know, whatever that he wanted us to do, he did it himself. So we can follow that example. Uh, we can see that when, when Jesus went to get baptized by John, John actually did not want to get did not want to baptize Jesus. He said, you should be baptizing me instead of me baptizing you. But Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. Wait, to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So it is something that we, not only Jesus commands for us to do, but it is also from something for us to do to follow the example of what Jesus did. Essentially, water baptism symbolizes the washing away of sins. It is very important right here. It is a symbol of existing change. It is not a cause of change. It is a symbol of an existing change because when we accept Jesus in our heart and confess with our mouth, that is a cause of change. Water baptism is just a symbol, a public visible symbol of an existing change. So who should get baptized? All believers. All believers should get baptized. Not just infants, it's not called infant baptism 
or adult baptism, all believers are to be baptized when they are able to accept Jesus on their own. Uh, I want to touch, I want to take a minute to briefly talk on infant baptism. Infants don't know or they are not aware of their own actions. Therefore, they are unable to repent or they are unable to accept Jesus uh, as their God and Savior, right? On their own, at least the infants that I know. Until they can do so, water baptism is meaningless because they don't understand the significance or the symbolic act of what water baptism is. Also, we don't see anywhere in scripture referring to infant baptism. We do see baby dedication, and it's a key difference right here. We do see baby dedication as Jesus was dedicated in Luke 2, chapter 2, verse 22. It's important to note that Jesus was dedicated. He was not baptized in Luke 2, verse 22. Briefly, baby dedication, it's a, it's a parent's public declaration of their intention to to raise that, to lay a foundation, to raise that child up in the foundation of godly principle, with an intention to raise that child up with, with godly values, and to guide and educate that, that child, whether he or she, in accordance with God's word. So it is a public declaration that they will raise this child up until he or she is old enough to make the decision in accepting Jesus for himself or herself. So it is often, not always, but it is often done in a church setting so that church, uh, church family will stand together and, and pray for the parents and, and help the parents in raising the child with, with values that are in line with scriptures and, and help the parents raise the child that, with values that are in line with correct biblical teaching. And I hope we will have a couple baby, baby dedications soon. We had one, so the second one is coming. Well, we have one baby, the second baby is coming. Um, when, when, so when, when, when should you do this? Uh, water baptism, as soon as you can, as soon as possible. In the early churches, they just pretty much did it right away. As soon as someone accepted Jesus, oh, let's go out in the back and baptize you. Uh, where? Anywhere. Because it can do it anytime, it can do it anywhere. Any body of water, whether it's in the bathtub, in the ocean, lake, in the swimming pool, in the pond, in the river, wherever there is water. As I said earlier, water baptism is, is a public symbol of our obedience to Jesus. This, this symbolic act of obedience, I believe, it's, it's really important. And I believe because it invites blessing. And because we are being obedient to God, it invites, it helps establish a strong foundation. A foundation as a follower of Jesus, of someone who is obedient to Jesus. Someone who, who would want to make a life decision based on his teaching. It is, it is symbolic for us as people who are reborn and people who build our lives and our future on the rock of ages. Jesus said so in Matthew 7 when he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So that's who we are when we are obedient to Jesus and his teaching and actually practice water baptism. One, one last thing about um, water baptism is that we only need to do it once. There's absolutely no need to do it more than one time. You, you can if you want, but it's not necessary. Uh, 
I've never seen anyone done it more than once. Uh, I have never, uh, what's, what's the term? Do, do a, perform a water baptism on someone that has done it once already. Uh, if you was baptized as an infant and you want to get baptized again, that is something completely different because as I said earlier, as an infant, you were not able to understand the significance of what someone, of, of what is water baptism. Uh, I don't know why I went off on a little trail. But anyway, so what I'm trying to say is there's absolute, absolutely no need to do it more than once. Uh, the next thing regarding baptism is Holy Spirit baptism. This is, I think this is a, a somewhat sensitive topic among churches in general. And, uh, but I think it's a very important topic for all of us to, to know and to, to speak uh, intelligently into it. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's, before we talk about the Holy Spirit baptism, we need to have an understanding of who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just a presence of God. As some may mistakenly assume, the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, right? We know that. The Holy Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is a he. We need to remember that. The Holy Spirit is a he, as in a person, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And he is also a lot of time referred or known as the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the spirit of truth. He, because it's a he, he possesses the characteristics of a person, like intelligence, thought, speech, language, fellowship, feelings, and emotions, right? And he performs the action of a person because it's a he in terms of leading, guiding, fellowshipping, convicting, teaching, comforting, counseling. He's not somehow less than God. He is fully God. He is explicitly and implicitly called God in scripture. Therefore, he possesses the, all the attributes of God, omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, and immortality. He is divine and he works through us. He's God, therefore he is holy, but he is also a gentleman, if I can use that term. So he will not force himself on us. He's always around, he's always available, and he's always within us. Once we accept Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit from within us, because it was a deposit promised by Jesus, we know that from Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13 and 14. He's in us, and he's available to us, but he would not force himself on us to make us hear things, to force us to feel things, to force us to do a certain things. But he's always around and available. We can hear what the Holy Spirit's telling us. We can hear his leading. We can, we can have perception and discernment. We can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit whenever we position our hearts and our minds to receive him. I want to say briefly on, on the statement about positioning our hearts and our minds. When I say that, what I, what I meant is to humble ourselves before Jesus and acknowledge that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the whole world, right? And that Jesus, he's the main focus in our lives. And he's the focus of all the decisions that we make. That's what I mean in terms of positioning our heart and our minds to receive the Holy Spirit. So, 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Now let's talk a little bit briefly on the work of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's there for a reason. And first and foremost, and we need to always, always remember this, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. He's always there. Everything that he does is to glorify Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit within the church, um, just in the big picture, he indwells within the church. Indwells means permanently present. He's always present within the church. He unifies it. He gives gifts to his members for the edifying of the body. We read that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are the nine gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to his members to, to um, edify the body. They are, let's see, tongues, interpretation, discernment, wisdom, prophecy, healing, miracles, uh, word of wisdom, and word of knowledge. So that those are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to each member to help edify the body. Uh, and then to, also the Holy Spirit is there to ordain and equip its leaders, church leaders, and stir the church to mission. That's what the Holy Spirit does within the church. Regarding his work with the individual, he's involved with each of us before conversion, at conversion, and after conversion. So before conversion, he, he convicts a person, right? He convicts us and draws the person to Christ and then reveals Jesus as our God and Savior to, to us. At conversion, he regenerates a person's spirit and causes cause that person to be born again. And after conversion, every believer, each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit is indwelt. Again, that's permanent presence. Like, like I was saying, he's always available. He's always there. So he's always available for us. And, and he's there as a seal that Jesus has given us, marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So when he comes back, we will know that he's coming back for us. We can, we can sum it up, sum up the work of the Holy Spirit for the individual by saying that he, the Holy Spirit helps carrying and transforming each person from convicted sinner to saint. He empowers each of us to fulfill Jesus' commands and imparts gift to enable us to complete what we're called to do. Each of us are called to do different things, and we need the Holy Spirit to equip us and empowers us to, to walk out those things that God has called us to do. That's when we, we receive the grace to do the things that other people may think it's too difficult or too impossible, but we get that equipping and empowering through the Holy Spirit. It's not because we're special. It's just because the Holy Spirit is empowering us. The, so therefore, it is vital. It is vital for all of us, each and every one of us, to be aware of the Holy Spirit, understand who is the Holy Spirit, be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and discover our gifts through the Holy Spirit in our walk with the Lord. The Holy Spirit, again, as I said, he empowers us and equips us to do ministry. So sometimes when we pray for people, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and reveal things for us to pray into and give us wisdom to pray for. And also the Holy Spirit will allow us to sometimes for us to intercede for people. If we sense a certain thing for someone else, we just start praying for them. We don't necessarily have to be there to touch on them. For example, if I'm at home and suddenly I felt a sense of something to pray for, let's say Marie, and I can intercede for her. So that means just praying for her. That's what it means. That's the revelation that we get is from the Holy Spirit. Just briefly on that. Uh, I, I want to I say a 
give a, uh, an illustration, a practical example of the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning was a perfect example. Using the example of this morning during the worship time, if we were able to position our heart and our mind, which meant we were able to put aside all the daily distractions and worries and got into a place of really worshiping God, trying to hear from God, praising Him, and being in a place of thankfulness, and singing to Him, acknowledging that He is God, and humbling ourselves before Him, and being grateful. Surely, surely you must have felt overcome with a sense of joy, just a sense of rest and peace, a sense of lightness. Lightness meaning not being burdened with things. That is a small sample size of the work of the Holy Spirit within a church setting. But also at the same time, he's also speaking to us. So if you felt something and suddenly you have a revelation of the things that you are to do, the things that you should do, that is how the Holy Spirit is revealing himself to us. And it goes back to what I was saying about positioning our hearts and positioning our minds and receive him. That's all we have to do. There's no 20-step process. Maybe one step, right? Position our hearts and position our mind and acknowledge Acknowledge God. So as we become more in tune with the Holy Spirit and receive Him, we will grow. We will grow in our process of hearing from Him. It will come easier. Because just like anything else, right? The first time, it's very difficult and it's not easy. It's, it's, it's a little bit challenging. But as we do it more and more and more, things will come easier in terms of hearing from the Holy Spirit, hearing the things that He has for us individually and the things that He has for us as a church, corporately. I say that a lot is because God, yeah, God speaks to, to, to me about the things for restoration, but he also speaks to you guys about the things for restorations. So that's why we always want to encourage people, if you hear something from God regarding restoration, come up front, because it's for everyone, not just for us. It's for everyone, and God used all of us uh, use all of us. He wants to use all of us. So, so allow him to use us. And that's why I go back to the term of positioning ourselves, positioning our hearts and our minds so we can be used by God. And he wants to speak to us. He wants to be with us. So the Holy Spirit empowers us and he equips us to radically live a changed life, a transformed life. The life that God has designed and created for us to live. We need the Holy Spirit to live differently. Because in the flesh, I use that term, um, and I realized, I think that's probably like a church terminology that most people don't know. In the flesh, another way to say it is in our own effort. In our own effort, in our own strength. When we try to do things without the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to live a, a changed life or a transformed life in the long run. We may be able to live differently on our own, in our own effort, for a little bit. But eventually, we will revert back to our old habits, or our old tendencies. The perfect example is New Year resolutions. You guys are familiar with New Year resolutions? How long do they usually last? Not very long, right? It's, uh, I can use many examples, but one is I, I go to the gym and you know the first two months of the, of the year, it's always super busy. Who knows how many New Year, New Year resolutions there are, but by March and April, things usually get back to normal. So that's an example of, of us trying to do things on our own, trying to make an effort, trying to change. It is from a good place that we're trying to change. It's, it's from a, but the effort is on us and it's never 
permanent unless we invite the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean in terms of how he equips us and empowers and gives us strength and courage and wisdom and, and even grace to live a radically changed and transform, transformed life. The Holy Spirit is, is the only one, as I was saying, is the only one that can empower and equip us to live differently. Not only that, he will empower and equip our future generations so that they don't have to go through the same obstacles and struggles. Using myself as an example, I grew up without knowing Jesus, and as I came to know him, uh, the things that I struggle with, the things that I had to go through, the things that I have overcome, my kids will never I can say this definitively, they will never have to experience those things because they will start from a much, much better place. It is because of the Holy Spirit, because of his leading, because of his equipping and empowering us. So the term that we use a lot is whatever the ceiling that I reach, that's gonna be the floor for them. They're gonna start out in a much better place because of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's how crucial it is for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and be in tune with the things that God wants us to do, wants us to know, and wants, wants us to be able to achieve. So the power and the effect of the work of the Holy Spirit is not just a temporary thing, just like what we said. Things that are passed down through uh, generations like addictions, abuses, or rejection can't be stopped by our own effort. When we try to, they will still get passed on to the next generation in a different form, in a different way. However, with the Holy Spirit, those things, what I call, what I would refer to as generational sins, they will be stopped completely if, if we allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to empower us, and to equip us. That's why it's important for us to, to, to reposition our hearts and our minds in a place so then he invites him in. He's not going to force himself on us. The Holy Spirit, like I said, he is holy, he is God, but he's also a gentleman. He's not going to force us to do anything. So we need to invite him in, and the way to do that is accept him, receive him, ask for him. Understanding who, this, who is the Holy Spirit and, and what he desires to do will help us to be more understanding or to, to desire more uh, and, and to be able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So now we get to the exciting part. How do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Firstly, we need to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus, I don't mean like knowing who is Jesus. I mean knowing Jesus as in having a personal relationship with Jesus and accepting him as our God and our Savior. Know him because the reason that we need to know who is Jesus and have a personal relationship with him because it is from Jesus that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we don't know Jesus, we won't know who to receive it from or how to receive it. We know this. Uh, I think I put up a couple verses up there, but I just read from Matthew 3, verse 11, when John the Baptist was baptizing people and he was saying to everyone else, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And, you know, I just want to pause right there. John the Baptist was considered a prophet during his time. Everyone was coming to get baptized by John. But he's saying, I am not worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. Think about the, 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 the significance of that. Back in the old days, the prophets are the ones that hear directly from God. And everyone, 
everyone come to the prophet to hear from God back in the Old Testament. So he's saying, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, that's Jesus. And Jesus, he will baptize, this is what John's saying, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So that is who's going to baptize us. We need, that's why it's important for us to know and have a relationship with Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, the, the term baptism means immersion or overwhelmed. In water baptism, we completely immerse ourselves figuratively in water. An actual act of immerse our body, our whole body, under the water with a Holy Spirit baptism. It is also an act of immersion, but in a sense of, of an experience that is often overwhelming and transforming. That it is as if we are being immersed in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is both inside and outside of us. We're being immersed with someone who is fully God. I can tell you from personal experience and from what I have seen in others, is once you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will not want to live without it. It is full of joy. It's full of peace. It's another level of, of love. If you, ever, if you ever read a book or watch a movie on a love story and you felt so loved, this, The Princess Bride, maybe, that's, the, you know, that's a good movie I think everyone's seen. This incredible love that's overcome so many obstacles. It is nothing. Nothing compares to what you experience when you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is nothing. So that's what I mean in terms of like another level of love, freedom, another level of rest and acceptance that that can't be explained or cannot be replicated. It's, it's something that you have to experience it for yourself and it's full of joy and it's full of peace. The baptism of the Holy Spirit brings a, it in a way to say that it brings a totally new dimension of God's presence and his person and his power into our lives. Just a totally new dimension of revelation of, of wow, this is God. This is what God is supposed to be like because God is not someone that we think that can do this and do that. It's God is someone that we cannot possibly imagine and explain. That is what I mean in terms of a totally new dimension. And the awesome thing is, which I, I feel there hasn't been enough teaching or experiences, it's available to all of us. Everyone. Every one of us. It's available to all believers. We don't need to go through a graduate level course of Christianity. We don't need to get an MDiv. We don't need to get a PhD of what it's like to be a Christian. We don't have to be a Christian for a certain number of years or go through a certain rituals. It is available to all believers. How do we receive it? All we have to do is really easy. It sounds, it sounds complicated, but it's really easy. Just surrender ourselves to Jesus. Ask for it. Those for it. Relax and receive the baptism that Jesus has promised for all of us. Jesus promised that for all of us. So what he promised, we already have. Like I said, we have it. We just need to activate it and receive it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the impact of the Holy Spirit baptism, it's, it, it's on many different levels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. The impact on, on that will cause people to react differently. Some will laugh, some will cry, some will get boisterous, some will remain quiet. Whatever it is, because it's overwhelming, it will, it will react differently for different people. And whatever it is, we will know that we have been touched by God. 
we don't need to tell, I, I don't need to go and tell people that I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I just know. And that's for us. It's for us to know so we can understand the experience and what it is like. So it, it is, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experiential event, right? Experience, experiential event of God's power, uh, of, of revelation of him as a person, of his presence. It's not a symbolic act as a water baptism. It is, so it is something that we want to remain in that place for as often or as long as we can. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, to encourage us to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So the, first, the very first experience with the Holy Spirit is, I guess, what you consider as a baptism of the Holy Spirit because it is an overwhelming experience. However, after that, we will know what it is and how to receive it, how to be ready for it, and how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This will help us to position ourselves, as I mentioned earlier, so we can continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit, be in step with the Holy Spirit, and do the thing, and, and maybe not do that, not do the things to grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit meaning pushing the Holy Spirit away, like I said earlier, he is a gentleman. And, but he is God and he's holy. So if we are doing the things that we shouldn't be doing, he's not going to come. If we're thinking about the things that we shouldn't be thinking, he's not going to come. When I say thinking about the things that we're not thinking, I mean like bad things. He's not going to come. So that's what it means to don't grieve the Holy Spirit. As we, again, as we become more in tune with the Holy Spirit, his presence and his power, which that's why on Sunday is such crucial with, during worship is all of us can learn together and come to experience the presence of God and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, I lost track of where I was. As we become more in tune with the Holy Spirit and, and, and understand what it is during the worship time, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to, to experience the Holy Spirit. We will grow and increase in, in, an, in an imperceptible feeling of understanding more the, the further immersion experience that we will want to seek always, all the time for the rest of our lives. So as we do this, we will be able to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. So as we are continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, we can truly live radically and differently from the world around us as God's people. And as through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we need that because we on our own cannot live radically or differently, right? Right? Like I said earlier about New Year resolution, we can try to live differently for a little time, but without the Holy Spirit, we can't do that in the long run. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit to live radically, live differently than everyone else. And also through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can have the courage and the wisdom to do what God has called us to do. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's giving us grace, giving us wisdom and courage and perseverance and gifting to walk out the things that God has called us to do, to walk into our inheritance that God has set out for us and not let the enemy steal it and take it away from us. Not only from us, but it's from our children for the future generations. And I feel it's something that that we need to always think about. It's not about us, it's about the future generations. The things that we do is not only for us, but also for our future generation, for our kids. I'm thinking about like my grandkids, my great-great-grandkids, all the generation to come, that they will be able to experience the incredible 
inheritance that God has for all of us. So that is what scripture refers to as living a spirit-filled life. It's to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to live in a place where the Holy Spirit is constantly flowing and experience the Holy Spirit and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. If I can end by saying that living a spirit-filled life is the essence and the key to the entire Christian's life. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to be living a spirit-filled life. If not, it's very boring. It's very legalistic, very religious. It's very dry, if I can use that term, because I know what I'm supposed to do, right? Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. I think what you, what you, what's right, I, well, I think. What's right and what's wrong. But it's very legalistic setting. If we have the Holy Spirit, it will give us life, that we can actually see things um, in a supernatural, see things that other people do not see, experience things that other people don't, don't know, and be able to, to, to speak life into other people and make changes to our lives and changes that, that will impact the generation to come. So living a spirit-filled life is the essence and the key to the entire Christian life. There's so much more on baptism, but I want to touch on the main points this morning so we can together, like Paul's, um, actually Paul didn't write Hebrews. It's, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, so, so, so go back to Hebrews chapter 6, so we can move beyond the elementary teachings, so we can mature and grow and understand what are the things that are available to us and, 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 and grow in our fullness in the whole measure of Jesus and become the church, become the bride that Jesus has called us to be. So 